Welcome to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. Glad that you've joined us for another week. Of course, we just had the uh, the Tulsa March for Life this last Thursday uh, and had a good turnout, great event. But of course, we also had the National March for Life out in D.C. We sent three buses to Washington, D.C. And that's been going on, oh, 40... I think this is the 42nd year, uh, maybe just the 41st. They started in D.C. the year after Roe v. Wade passed. They wanted to mark the anniversary. A, a woman by the name of Nellie Gray, fascinating life story. I encourage you to look her up uh, and read about her life. And she decided that something needed to be done. They needed to mark that dark day, that anniversary, uh, with remembrance and with, with a march. And so that first year, they had something like 20,000 people descend on Washington, D.C. And, uh, and then people started asking Nellie, uh, when are, when's the next march? When are we going to do this again? And of course, she was, she was not expecting this to be an ongoing event. She, she was going to be happy and satisfied with just the one big remembrance. And people talked her into it. And so it began to be a national, uh, national annual event. Uh, held in Washington, D.C. Of course, this year was one of the largest years they've ever had there. Around 500,000 people descended on Washington, D.C. for the March for Life. And, uh, you know, if you watch the news, if it's reported at all, it'll say something like thousands gathered. Of course, thousands. I mean, it's, it's technically correct. It was thousands. It was just hundreds of thousands of people that gathered there in Washington, D.C. And of course, we had about 120, 125 of our own people from the Diocese of Tulsa uh, hop onto buses and drive out together with uh, Anthony Kaiser, the director of Youth and Young Adult for the Diocese, and uh, Father Brian O'Brien. I'm sure there were uh, Father Brian Brooks was probably out there again this year. Just a number of people uh, that make this happen every year. And of course, Nellie Gray's influence goes far beyond just the Washington, D.C. march, because there are places all over the country, just like here in Tulsa, who said, you know, we can't we can't send everybody. Not everyone can make the trip to D.C., but we want to mark this day, too. And so here in Tulsa, we've been doing it for six years. This was our sixth annual Tulsa March for Life uh, and just had a, a great turnout Uh Rebecca Hamilton, former Democratic uh, state representative for Oklahoma City, uh, she was out here and she told us her story, which was quite a bit more complex than I than I even knew. I knew that she had been pro-choice uh, and had come to a conversion to believe now in the sanctity of all human life. And for the last uh, 11 years in, uh, in the uh, House of Representatives, she fought staunchly. Uh, facing great opposition and personal uh, personal attack, she fought for the dignity of all human life. What I did not know is that she was the former president of the Oklahoma chapter of NARAL, uh, National Abortion uh, Rights Action League. Nor did I know that she was uh, responsible for helping establish the first abortion clinic. And she had just a fabulous story of God's redemption and bringing her out of that and helping her find healing from the guilt that she felt from from uh, helping champion those causes. Uh, great, 
great speaker. Uh, the talk is a little bit too long to put here on the radio, but I hope that you had the chance to make it out there. And if you haven't had the chance to make it out there, I really encourage you to go read her blog. Uh, she has a blog on the Patheos Network. It's patheos.com, P-A-T-H-E-O-S. Uh, and her blog is on the Catholic Channel, and it's called Public Catholic. Great stuff. She's uh, writing a couple of books as well uh, that she's in the midst of now that she is retired from uh, the legislature. But we were just thrilled to have her come out, uh, and she did a fabulous job. We had people from all different denominations all across the city coming out. So we had Anglicans and Episcopalians, and uh, we had Baptists and non-denominational, and a Bible church was out there, and we had students from uh University of Tulsa, uh, St. Gregory's University came out. We just had a huge group of people all gathered uh, in solidarity, people who probably wouldn't set foot in the same building together uh, for some of their other differences. Out in the open air, in defense of life, they came, and they came together, and they marched together, uh, and it was a, a wonderful thing. And so we do this every year. Uh, we're going to do it again next year. If abortion between now and then becomes a thing of the past and is completely uh, done away with, we're still going to get together next year uh, in celebration. So mark it on your calendars right now, January 22nd. It's a Friday next year. Uh, and so we'll get together. Bishop is going to have mass, always does. He'll have mass before. It'll be at 5.30 p.m. January 22nd next year. Uh, and then at 7 o'clock, we'll have the march. And so we look forward to seeing you there. Now, what I do have is I have the speech that Bishop Slattery uh, gave from the steps of the cathedral right before we marched. And we're going to listen to that together here in a moment. Then in the second segment, of course, as always, we're going to do the readings of the day uh, for Monday. And then we're going to do the reading from church history. And then in the last segment, uh, last couple of segments there, we're going to return again to the topic we talked about last week, which is the dignity of all human persons uh, and the implications of that, the broader implications of that. Uh, so lots to still cover today. Uh, and as we get into that, let's, let's open up in prayer. Christ is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Let us praise and thank him as we pray. Nourish your people, Lord. Christ, you decided to show your merciful love through your holy shepherds. Let your mercy always reach us through them. Nourish your people, Lord. Through your vicars, continue to perform the ministry of shepherd of souls. Direct us always through our leaders. Nourish your people, Lord. Through your holy ones, the leaders of your people, you served as physician of our bodies and our spirits. Continue to fulfill your ministry of life and holiness in us. Nourish your people, Lord. You taught your flock through the prudence and love of your saints. Grant us continual growth and holiness under the direction of our pastors. Nourish your people, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're going to hear from our pastor now, Bishop Edward Slattery, from the steps of the cathedral right before the Tulsa March for Life this last Thursday. Let's take a listen. God bless all of you for your presence here, for your prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Let's start with a prayer. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
that with its own DNA, its own generic pattern and perfection, scientists can still claim that the unborn fetus is not a child. How is it possible that though, though scientists agree that at the age of 20 weeks, an unborn child can already feel pain, that no steps have been taken to protect these innocent lives against the violent pain of abortion. How is it possible that a country of educated and sophisticated people can allow 90% of its children diagnosed with Down syndrome to die by the butcher's scalpel? Yeah, there is a war going on in America, but it's not a war against women. It's a war against life. This is the truth. And because we know the truth, we will continue to pray. We will continue to protest at abortion, abortion clinics. And we will continue to march for life. We know that abortion kills life. And because we know this, we will continue to speak out against it, against abortion, every opportunity that we get. We will not go away and we will not be silent. We will work for an end to abortion and pray for an end to abortion. We will shiver in the cold, pray through the night, picket through the week, suffer the rude stares and condescending remarks as long as it takes. And if it takes all this to save one life, to save one child, to change one mind, to heal one broken mother, then it's all worth it. And when tomorrow comes, we'll do it again, and again, and again, until every child that is conceived is born, and every child that is born is loved and protected, and every child that is loved can live in holiness and peace. And so, now, let's march. That's Bishop Edward Slattery of the Diocese of Tulsa addressing those who had gathered for the Tulsa March for Life this last Thursday, January 22nd, on the steps of the cathedral downtown. Well, when we come back, we're going to open up the scriptures and take a look at what the church has to offer us today. Then we're going to look at a reading from church history. You are listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Air. You're listening to Outside the Walls with our daddy on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM. Thanks, kids. That's part of my brood right there, uh, bringing us into this next segment of the show. That was Israel, Naomi, and Jeremiah, and I have more where that came from. Uh, All of my children were planned at least 10 minutes in advance. And uh, I've used that joke many times. And what's even more sad is that that's not really a joke. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. Uh, So today is my feast day, and I'm going to live it up. Actually, it's the feast day of Saints Timothy and Titus bishops. But as you know, my name is Timothy, and so I'm taking it, right? Uh, So today's readings come from, the first reading comes from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear child, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I yearn to see you again, recalling your tears, so that I may be filled with joy, as I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and that I am confident lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and of self-control. So do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake, but bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. That's the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 96. Proclaim God's marvelous deeds to all the nations. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all you lands. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim God's marvelous deeds to all the nations. Announce his salvation day after day. Tell his glory among the nations, among all peoples, his wondrous deeds. Proclaim God's marvelous deeds to all the nations. Give to the Lord, you families of nations. Give to the Lord glory and praise. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Proclaim God's marvelous deeds to all the nations. Say among the nations, The Lord is King. He has made the world firm, not to be moved. He governs the peoples with equity. Proclaim God's marvelous deeds to all nations. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 3. The scribes who had come from Jerusalem said of Jesus, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he drives out demons. Summoning them, he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. That is the end of him. But no one can enter a strong man's house to plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Amen, I say to you, all sins and all blasphemies that people utter will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an everlasting sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. And that's the reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. On this, the feast day of St. Timothy and St. Titus, who were both bishops. Today's reading from church history comes from the breviary, uh, and it's from the Detailed Rules for Monks by St. Basil the Great, Bishop. What words can adequately describe God's gifts? They are so numerous that they defy enumeration. They are so great that any one of them demands our total gratitude and response. Yet even though we cannot speak of it worthily, 
there is one gift which no thoughtful man can pass over in silence. God fashioned man in his own image and likeness. He gave him knowledge of himself. He endowed him with the ability to think, which raised him above all living creatures. He permitted him to delight in the unimaginable beauties of paradise. And he gave him dominion over everything upon the earth. Then, when man was deceived by the serpent and fell into sin, which led to death and to all the sufferings associated with death, God still did not forsake him. He first gave man the law to help him. He set angels over him to guard him. He sent the prophets to denounce vice and teach virtue. He restrained man's evil impulses by warnings and roused his desire for virtue by promises. Frequently, by way of warning, God showed him the respective ends of virtue and of vice in the lives of other men. Moreover, when man continued in disobedience, even after he had done all this, God did not desert him. No, we were not abandoned by the goodness of the Lord. Even the insult we offered to our benefactor by despising his gifts did not destroy his love for us. On the contrary, although we were dead, our Lord Jesus Christ restored us to life again, and in a way even more amazing than the fact itself. For his state was divine, yet he did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself to assume the condition of a slave. He bore our infirmities and endured our sorrows. He was wounded for our sake, so that by his wounds we might be healed. He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for our sake, and he submitted to the most ignominious death in order to exalt us to the life of glory. Nor was he content merely to summon us back from death to life. He also bestowed on us the dignity of his own divine nature and prepared for us a place of eternal rest where there will be joy so intense as to surpass all human imagination. How then shall we repay the Lord for all his goodness to us? He is so good that he asks no recompense except our love. That is the only payment he desires. To confess my personal feelings, when I reflect on all these blessings, I am overcome by a kind of dread and numbness at the very possibility of ceasing to love God and of bringing shame upon Christ because of my lack of recollection and my preoccupation with trivialities. That's a reading from the Detailed Rules for Monks by St. Basil the Great, Bishop. And I have to confess, when I read that last paragraph, it gets me a little bit because I'm right there with St. Basil. There's this dread and numbness at the very possibility of ceasing to love God and of bringing shame upon Christ because of my lack of recollection and my preoccupation with trivialities. Now, here's the thing. Uh, if St. Basil was worried about being preoccupied with trivialities, how much more in danger are we of such things? Because we're surrounded by trivialities to the nth degree 
there are trivialities all around us. Uh, a long time ago, probably a year and a half ago, I was preoccupied with Candy Crush. Yes, there's the little game. And I finally came to the realization that there's no point to that game. There's never a point at which you can say, I've won. I won the game. No, they want your money and they want your time. And uh, those are two things that I got to a point where I was just not willing to give any more of. Because I only have so much time in the day. I'm certainly not going to give them any of my money. And this realization that I have to be careful of what I allow myself to be preoccupied with. I wonder if you have anything that sprung to your mind as you heard St. Basil the Great talking. If there's anything that you heard that you think, you know, maybe maybe I'm preoccupied just a little bit too much with trivialities. Perhaps that's something that this week, as you go throughout your week, you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you uh, what are those things that keep you from being fully devoted, uh, not just on Sunday morning and, and maybe not even just uh if you go to other activities at the church, but what keeps you from being fully devoted to Christ in the same way that the saints were, in the same way that uh, that St. Timothy and St. Titus were, in the same way that St. Basil the Great was. Now, of course, they're bishops, and they have a, a certain um, responsibility to devotion. We read that last week with St. Francis de Sales and in his introduction to the devout life, that we all have different ways of devotion, and we have some things that we have to be preoccupied with. I'm preoccupied with making sure that my children feel loved. I'm preoccupied with making sure that uh, they get interaction with their dad, and sometimes that could be look trivial, you know, uh, sitting down and watching a television show with them or playing Chinese checkers. That's certainly not a very devout thing to do. And yet, uh, for a dad, it's one of the most devout things you can do to, to show your kids the kind of care and affection that God shows to us. Uh, but there, there are other things that really are trivial. They're not benefiting our family and they're not benefiting us. It's just something that we have to occupy our time. And so I encourage you, uh, to, to meditate on the good gifts that God gave us that St. Basil the Great has just now listed for us. To meditate on those gifts that God has given us and to meditate on your response. Ask God if there's anything that is preoccupying you unnecessarily uh, and then endeavor to give that to him. I'm reminded of a prayer by Thomas Merton that I return to uh, over and over in my life. And it says, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me, and I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust in you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me and will never leave me to face my perils alone. After the break, we're going to be looking at the dignity of the human person. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow.
This is Father Joe Townsend from St. Benedict's in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and you are listening to Outside the Walls on 102.9 St. Michael Catholic Radio. Thank you, Father Joe, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I can't believe that we've made it this far into the show, and I have not harassed you about visiting me on social media. So now's the time. Uh, We do not have a call-in number, and so this can't be a call-in show, but I do want interaction, Uh, and your interaction helps guide the show uh, and helps me maybe examine what kinds of things we want to talk about here on the show. Uh, Sometimes we're going to talk about whatever I want to talk about, but sometimes you might might give me a hint of what it is I want to talk about. So, uh, to find my social media and to tell me what you think I ought to talk about, uh, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. So hop on over there and uh, let me know that you're listening uh, and uh, and tell me what you think we ought to do here. Now, I met a couple of you at the Tulsa March for Life. Uh, so I know now we're now our accounts up to like eight right now. I know I have like eight listeners. So uh, I'd love to know. I'm, I'm sure that there are more of you out there, but I'd love to know who you are. So why don't you find me on Facebook and tell me? You know, uh, thinking of Facebook and, and uh, using that as a, a good gauge of how many people are going to show up. Uh, we had a total of, uh, I think, 52 people say that they were coming to the March for Life on Facebook, right? Nobody wants to say that they're coming. Uh, we actually had uh, somewhere around, a, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 people. I haven't, I haven't really broken down the number yet. I haven't blown up the picture and counted every head. But we had a good number of people out there, and that was really good to see. Now, if you if you watch the news, uh, depending on what station you watched, you could have uh, heard any different number of numbers. I think uh, one of the stations that shall remain nameless uh, said we had 150 people. And, and at one point, I'm sure we did have 150 people, but they would have had to have left really early to only see 150 people. Specifically, uh, once, uh, once the people came out of the cathedral uh, and then... That let the people in the parking lot who were staying in their cars to stay warm, that was kind of the sign of, oh, I guess we can get out now. And all of a sudden, what had just been a really thin-looking crowd really beefed up, and all of a sudden, we had the whole street filled. And what a glorious sight that was on on kind of a cold night. Uh, not quite as cold as last year. Last year was uh, something around 17 degrees or so, and this year was uh, started out in the mid 40s and i think we got down to uh 36 but it felt like 33 so uh glad that you all were able to come those of you who were uh and uh we got there because i was talking about people not telling me that they're coming on facebook and people not telling me that they're listening on facebook and i'd really love to know who you are uh send me a facebook message on facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on twitter our handle is at outside the walls and if you were just not a twitter or facebook person but you really like to interact with me then we have a we do have an email address and that is outside the walls at st and the saint is st so outside the walls at st so Uh, we're going to talk about the dignity of the human person. We talked about that a little bit last week, but uh, St. Basil the Great, in our reading just in the previous segment, 
uh, really brings home the idea of the dignity of the human person at the very beginning in that first paragraph. So I'm going to read it to you again. Uh, I know that you've just heard it, but we're going to read it again, and then we're going to look at it in the light of how that affects the dignity of the human person. So here we go. What words can adequately describe God's gifts? They are so numerous that they defy enumeration. They are so great that any one of them demands our total gratitude and response. Yet even though we cannot speak of it worthily, there is one gift which no thoughtful man can pass over in silence. God fashioned man in his own image and likeness. He gave him knowledge of himself. He endowed him with the ability to think, which raised him above all living creatures. He permitted him to delight in the unimaginable beauties of paradise and gave him dominion over everything on the earth. That right there is at the center of the dignity of the human person, that God made man with a rational soul. He said gave him knowledge of himself and gave him the ability to think, which raised him above all living creatures. And I, I know what some of you are saying. Well, animals think. They make decisions. They uh uh, they can be taught certain things. And so how has that raised him above all living creatures? Well, when you go back to the philosophers, to Plato and Aristotle, and then to uh, Aquinas as well, and we start talking about the nature of the soul. And according to the philosophers, all living things have souls. Uh, so the, the Latin word for soul is anima. And anything that is animated is is something with a soul but they differentiate between the souls and they they show that man has a, a rational soul the reason of man and humanity extends far beyond just instinct so for instance a, a bee can build a really complex hive uh, an ant can build a really complex uh, anthill and so man can also build. Man can build a house, and it can be complex. And some people would say, well, everyone's building really complex things. Ah, but here's the difference. If you look at a beehive from a thousand years ago, and you look at a beehive from a thousand years from now, it's going to be a beehive. It's going to be constructed in the same way, with the same materials and the same form. Uh, same with the anthill. It's unchanging. And while it's complex, it's not developed. It's just there. And then you look at man, and you see things like the Sistine Chapel, and you see things like the, the beautiful statues uh, of the ancient world. And you see that there's something, uh, a spark of creativity that goes beyond mere instinct, uh, that develops. You know, you, you, you've got... Uh, the newer architects building off what the older architects did and improving and changing. And, and so we go from a, a mud hut to the Sistine Chapel, right? And there's a great diversity in what man does. And so for this reason, because we have the image and likeness of God, because we bear that image, uh, the, the human person is endowed with dignity. Uh, so this extends to all people, uh, to every, every corner of humanity, because we all bear that rational soul. Even if someone may be uh, less developed in their, in their knowledge and in their understanding, the capacity is there. 
And even in a person who maybe has diminished capacity for whatever reason, that image of God is still latent within them. It's there. It's present. Uh, and, you know, growing up, maybe maybe you never experienced this, but I, I had heard people talk about being made, man being made in the image of God somehow as somehow God had gender, right? That uh, guys looked like God. And, and that's not at all uh, what the church teaches. The church teaches that, that God, yes, God has a body, and that's the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, but other than that, God, God the Father is spirit, pure spirit. There is no gender. There is no body until Christ became incarnate uh, as human, right? So what, what, it's not that when we look in the mirror— we see what God looks like. Oh, I guess God's got uh, high cheekbones and uh, blue eyes. And no, no, we, when we look in the mirror and we recognize and we see the spark of our spirit, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. And that's given to us from the very first moment. So because we are made in the image of God and because everyone around us, all of humanity is made in the image of God, bearing his likeness, having that rational soul, then we have responsibilities to one another. We have responsibilities to the poor and the indigent. We have responsibilities to those who experience physical or mental disability. We have responsibility uh, to those with whom we disagree. We have responsibilities uh, to those whom we love and to those whom we're not so fond of. We have responsibilities as humans being made in the image of God to recognize and to treat with respect the dignity of the human person who is also made in the image and the likeness of God. Uh, and so this, this affects everything that we do. It means that we have to be charitable, that we have to act with love toward all of our fellow humans, those who we agree with, and those who we disagree with, those who help us along and are useful to us, and those who require a great amount of effort on our part, uh, those who society says has no value, like the unborn or the elderly, and those who we see great value in, our own children and our families. We have a responsibility in the way that we act toward one another because of the dignity of the human person. It means that we have to be uh, careful politically because politics, both sides of politics, both the Democrats and the Republicans, they have their own issues that deny the dignity of the human person. And so we have to start with our faith and then move towards how that plays out in the world. Of course, that's a contentious topic, and we'll talk just a little bit more about it when we come back from this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM. Welcome back to Outside the Walls on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. I'm Timothy Putnam. I'm your host, and we've got just a little bit of time left together. And of course, as we went into the break uh, in the last segment, I caused a little bit of trouble, and that's what I like to do. Uh, we're talking about the dignity of the human person, and specifically the uh, 
our responsibility to, to humanity. I said as we went into the break that both political parties have their problems with the dignity of the human person. Uh, of course, there are those on the Democratic platform that have no problem with destroying life uh, at very early stages and very late stages where you have the supposed, the, the, the quote-unquote Death with Dignity Act uh, that is being pushed through in California, and some states already allow it. What it really is, is euthanasia. It's uh, deciding that a life is no longer worth living and then taking it. Uh, in the same way, we have people who decide that a life is not worth living, and so they abort it. Uh, and so that's, that's one side of the political spectrum. But the dignity of the human person also requires that we treat the living with respect in regards to the poor and the disabled and uh, even the immigrant. And that's not something that the, uh, the other party, the Republican Party, always does very well. Uh, and so we have to be aware that there is no political party that encompasses our faith. I mean, certainly you have to, to vote the way that you're going to vote, and it, but it can't be just a thought of, well, this party completely encompasses my faith, and so that's where I'm going to go. Uh, because the Christian faith rejects the idea uh, that, that you can split up the dignity of a human person. Uh, that you can say, well, this dignity is important, but that dignity is not. Now, here's the other side of it is politics can get very contentious. And that also defies the dignity of a human person because our ideological opponents are still persons created in the image and the likeness of God with whom we have a responsibility to be charitable and kind. That doesn't mean we can't have legitimate differences. It doesn't mean we can't have uh, civil debate. But as I have interacted with the world around me, I've noticed an increase, a, a dramatic increase in the, uh, in the loss of civility. Uh, arguments quickly turn to personal attack. And, uh, and that's something that we as Catholics, uh, we as Christians who, call, uh, who are called by the name of Christ, it can't be something that we have. We cannot be people who are harsh uh, because that is not the image of God. Uh, that's not something that accurately reflects what God has created us to be. And of course, we're, we're supposed to be more and more striving for holiness, striving to be uh, Christ followers who look like Christ. Now, Christ had some very, very sharp things to say. Uh, he didn't pull punches. Uh, uh, you know, Jesus was not, um, he was not a talk show host. He was not a, uh, he was not someone who just accepted every behavior. Uh, Christ had some very stringent things to say to certain people, but it was always with charity. Uh, and it was never an attack of the person as much as the belief and so we, we have to really be cautious. We have to be aware of our own proclivities for, uh, for how we behave in an argument, in a disagreement, and to realize that this is not uh, just an issue of, well, they're wrong, and so I'm going to let them have it. Uh, this is a person that you're interacting with. And the tone of your interaction can affect whether or not uh, they come to a knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. 
And so we bear the responsibilities as ambassadors, as representatives of Christ, uh, to be the ones who speak charitably. We're supposed to be the ones who stick to the issues instead of devolving into name-calling, because really that doesn't get us anywhere. I love this statement. I've I've heard Bishop Slattery say it several times, and uh, he says that he got it from John Paul II, who he thinks got it from Vatican II, Uh, and so you're getting this like 12th hand from me. Uh, But he says, we don't impose our views on anyone. Really, we can't impose our views on anyone. What we do is we propose the truth. And the truth is going to have its own weight. The truth is going to impose itself. And so we speak the truth in love, never wavering on what truth is, never wavering on, uh, on issues like human dignity, whether that be through opposing abortion or whether it be through championing the rights of the workers for a full-time worker to receive a living wage. Whatever the case may be, uh, no matter what political party it disagrees with, we start with our faith. We start with the dignity of the person, and we work from there. Uh, No matter how unpopular it may be, and really how unpopular it certainly will be, as the saints have shown us throughout history, uh, following the faith is a certain, a most certain way uh, to to get enemies, right? To lose friends, uh, to find martyrdom. But even in those difficult situations, even as we stand for truth against all odds, we do so knowing that we will win a crown uh, from Christ, who will say to us at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. And f- frankly, that's all the accolade that I need. So, uh, of course, this has been a a little bit of a uh, touchy topic, and uh, I want to know what you think about it. Maybe you agree with uh, what I've said. Maybe you have some very serious issues with what I've said, and you'd like to give me what for. Well, you can do that on Facebook at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can also do it on Twitter at at outside the walls. Or you can just send me an email. That's not nearly as fun because uh, only I'll see it. Nobody else will see it. So if you want uh, want the best bang for your buck, go to social media. Otherwise, you can send me an email at outsidethewalls at stmichaelradio.com. Of course, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, more to come. Hope you'll join us next week. Uh, Monday mornings at 7 a.m., Wednesdays at 5, and Thursdays at 7 p.m. You've been listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. Have a blessed week. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you peace. Peace.